Kids, I want to start with you first, and I want to read you a part of a book, and this book is called The Super Life of Ben Braver, all right? Super Life of Ben Braver, all right, let's dive in. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something a little different here. You might notice I'm not starting in the beginning of the story, but let me turn here to page 296 of The Super Life of Ben Braver. And it says, Abigail flailed her arms and legs. The sound of terror from her mouth didn't sound human. It wasn't something I'll ever forget. Evil Ben fell silently. I wanted to scream too, but I didn't. I wasn't afraid. I knew I was about to hit the ground, but at least I saved the school. I actually saved lives. I was the hero I always wanted to be. I shut my eyes and hoped it wouldn't hurt. The cold air burned my face, but then it turned warm as I felt my body slow down in midair. I opened my eyes to Noah's face beaming with a smile. He was holding me by my armpits. We were flying. Noah was flying. I was just catching a ride. Now, kids, you might be wondering right now, what are we doing here? What is this story about? Why did Pastor Didi turn to the back of the book and tell us a spoiler of what's going to happen in this book? Well, you know what? I want to tell you a mystery in life, kids, that the Bible reveals to us. I want to tell you the end of all of history, the end of all of life, and the end to that story that Jesus is telling in actual life is that Jesus wins, evil loses. Even we, you don't know anything about the book, The Super Life of Ben Braver, but you can tell that he was going to be the hero, that good was going to win. And that's what we're learning about today in Revelation 20. We learn that we don't need to be afraid of suffering. We don't need to be afraid of Satan. We don't need to be afraid of evil. We don't need to be afraid of death. Though those things may happen to us in this life, we still know that Jesus wins and will destroy all of those things completely and utterly one day. And if we have faith in him, then we will share an eternal life with him. Jesus wins. I hope that's something that you take to heart, that you take with you every day of your life, no matter what hard things you go through, that you know that Jesus wins, that evil loses, that Jesus has told us the end of the story of what is happening in this life. If you want to continue to join in with us as we dig deeper into this chapter of Revelation 20, please do. You'll hear in more detail how Jesus tells us the end of the story. So kids and adults alike, during this COVID-19 pandemic, those of us who love sports, which is me, may have resorted to watching old games since there are no new games to watch, particularly games of our favorite sports teams. Maybe you've watched an old football game and an old basketball game, or maybe your college basketball team, or maybe a, an old baseball game, or maybe even soccer, for those of you who love soccer, or maybe for those of you who love the Olympics, you caught some Olympic highlights for gymnastics or figure skating, wishing that there could still be the Olympics this summer. It's not quite the same though, right? When you watch sports and you know the ending, when you know which team is gonna win, unless it's maybe it's your favorite team and it's just kind of fun to watch your team win again and again and, and see how they win. Or perhaps it's watching a superhero movie. 
uh, maybe for the first time or the 20th time, and, and you know that the good guy is going to win. You know how that story is going to end. You might be curious how the bad guy fights and retaliates or how much damage he does along the way, but you know that good will prevail in the end, and you know how the end of the movie will go in that sense. And the story of God is the same. The story that God is telling in life, in history, is the same. And Revelation tells us the end of the story, tells us the end of how this game will end. It's obviously not a game, it's our life. And yet we remember we have so much hope in this life because Satan has already been defeated and his end is sure. We don't need to live as those unsure of how the story ends, unsure of how the game will end. We don't have to wonder if evil will win. Jesus wins. So we're gonna see today as we dig into today's text that the main point is this, that Satan's power is limited now by Christ's death and resurrection. So let's live in the power of the first resurrection now. Satan's power is limited now by Christ's death and resurrection. So let's live in the power of the first resurrection now. So let's ask this question. What is the 1,000 years? This is maybe one of the most controversial texts in the book of Revelation. And uh, you may have heard the names for the three main views, premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial. So you'll see the thousand years is what those, those, those terms are referencing. The millennial is the thousand years. And so I'm going to be teaching from the view, the amillennial view, and have been throughout our series, and, and teaching here specifically that the thousand years represents the church age. But let me say this first. In many ways, it doesn't matter what you believe the 1,000 years represents. Again, the three main views about the 1,000 years all agree on this point. Jesus wins. Evil loses. And that is what matters most in terms of what Revelation teaches us. But I'll say this. The one thing that sets apart the amillennial view that I'm, again, that I'm teaching from, is that it teaches to a different degree about the power of Christ's resurrection for us today. For those of us who follow Jesus between his first coming and his second coming, this is what we call the church age. And the debate then about premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial is about timing. It's not about the end result. It is about timing. Is the 1,000 years now which is what the amillennial view believes, or is it later, which premillennial and postmillennial views believe? Here's the thing. Sometimes as Christians, we can imagine this cosmic battle between good and evil, um, between God and Satan, as if they were equal forces locked in battle for all eternity. We approach this battle between good and evil as if it's just the yin and yang of life that, 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 Good and evil cannot have meaning apart from each other. And this is not what scripture teaches us. And this is certainly not what the other views teach either. Again, it's about the timing of this 1,000 year reign. Scripture teaches us that God is good and good will prevail. And in fact, good has already prevailed 2,000 years ago on the cross through the sacrifice of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But again, this, this view, 
that the 1,000 years represents the church age teaches us to a different degree the power of Christ's resurrection and therefore our resurrection through faith in him. The amillennial view sees the 1,000 years as symbolic of the church age. Again, this time between Christ's first and second coming. And therefore it gives Christ's resurrection and our spiritual resurrection through him, being born again, being regenerated through life in him, gives it the appropriate dignity and power that it has. We don't live our lives as Christians wondering if good will prevail. We don't have to despair over evil or over the power of Satan. We know good prevails in Jesus. And this is why we follow him and give our whole lives to him. And again, understanding that the thousand years represents the church age now, represents what we live in as Christians right now in this time, gives us an idea of the power of God's resurrection and that the resurrection we have through him. Again, we have been talking about revelations and the numbers that occur so often in Revelation as being highly symbolic and rooted in Old Testament illusions. The numbers three, four, seven, 10, 12, and multiples of those numbers have played highly symbolic roles throughout Revelation. And so, again, I don't believe there's strong exegetical reasons to believe that this 1,000 years is not also a highly symbolic number rather than a literal number of 1,000 years. And as we talked about often in the beginning of this series, to not read Revelation literally and chronologically doesn't mean we don't have a high view of Scripture. I would argue to read it with a higher, it means it's, we're reading it with a higher regard of Scripture to connect it to the Old Testament allusions and to read it in the appropriate genre that it is, which is, the, uh, which is an, ap- I can't say the word, apocalyptic prophetic letter. Revelation is apocalyptic prophetic letter. So again, we're looking at a thousand years as the church age, the time between the first and second coming of Christ, which means it is the time that we live in. Some things that we, we see if we understand it this way is that in Revelation, talks about God's church suffering for 10 days when we look at chapter two, verse 10. But here we see that the saints are reigning with Christ for 1,000 years, 1,000 being 10 to the power of three, therefore signifying a long time, or perhaps an ideal period of time. And this teaches us that the present momentary affliction that we go through pales in comparison to the glory that we have even now in this, in this in-between stage, and certainly pales in comparison to the eternal glory that we will share with God forever and ever. And we, we also see that in Jewish and early Christian writings, that 1,000 years is used as a figure for eternal blessing of the redeemed. I'm just giving a little bit more so we kind of give the foundation for seeing the 1,000 years as the church age. We've talked about how in the amillennial view, we see these parallels happening in Revelation. And specifically then, the parallels for chapter 20, we see in chapter 12, and chapter 16, and chapter 19. And it's a taking a deeper pass at the same events, describing the same events, giving us a fuller picture of what is happening. So the fuller picture we're being given is of what is God is doing in the end. And the fuller picture we're being given is what is the power of Christ's resurrection? And again, therefore, the resurrection that we have through faith in him. It gives us a fuller picture of how the story ends. 
and how Satan and all evil is destroyed. We see how Jesus wins. So let's dig in a little bit to some of the specifics about the thousand years here. So what is the nature of a thousand years? And I want us to remember that these two chapters, 12 and 20, there's great similarity between these two chapters. Chapter 12 was the center of the book of Revelation, and we see that there's, this, there's these two scenes. First, there's a scene on earth, and then there's a scene in heaven. And we see the scene on earth is where it's dealing with Satan, and the scene in heaven is showing the implications for God and for the people of God. And we see the same kind of structure here in chapter 20. In verses one through three, we see this scene on earth, And what we're going to see in terms of the nature of the thousand years is verses one through three show us that Satan is is bound and cannot deceive. Satan is bound and cannot deceive. This is the age we live in. Satan is bound and cannot deceive. Verse two says, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might might not deceive the nations any longer. This is now. Jesus agrees with this. Here, these verses that you probably know well of how you can hear how it, 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 it's Jesus saying the same thing in his time, in his ministry. Mark chapter three, verse 27. This is a parable that Jesus is teaching after he had cast out demons. And some are saying that Jesus is on on, on, on the side of, 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 of the devil and therefore using demonic powers to cast out the demons. And Jesus says, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus here referencing how Satan has been bound already. And then John 12 verse 31 to 32 talks about how um, this is the timing, the context is he's, about, he's sharing with, with believers and, and about as he's about to go to the cross. And he says there, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, referencing Satan. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So we see here again that Jesus himself is recognizing the power of his ministry there on earth, that he was bringing in the kingdom of God inaugurating the kingdom of God, that his, his works of healing, his works of, of uh, power over creation, his works of power over, over demons and Satan was to show that his kingdom was being inaugurated, that the strong man was being bound, that the ruler of the earth, Satan, was being judged even then. We're not waiting to some super future down the road for this defeat of Satan. Jesus was doing it through his work here on earth, through his death and resurrection. Again, G.K. Beale, great commentary on Revelation if you want uh, a really thick book to read, says this, that Satan, is, that Satan is cast out by Christ's death does not restrict Satan in every way. Rather, it keeps him from preventing all people throughout the earth being drawn to Jesus. Is it important for us to know because obviously as Christians, we, we see suffering in this world. We've seen in Revelation, um, John talk about the persecution of the church, visions being revealed to him about the persecution of the church. And so we know as Christians that physical suffering can still happen for us. But Satan being bound here means that 
He cannot deceive the nations any longer. The work of the gospel will go forth to the ends of the earth. That we as sinners and saints who have put our faith in Christ are spiritually sealed by the Holy Spirit and protected from Satan leading us away from Christ himself, away from relationship with Christ. And though we may go through tests in this life as we go through physical suffering, even a kind of physical suffering that we are experiencing right now or emotional suffering or mental suffering, that we are protected spiritually by, by Christ because Satan has been bound already. So that's the first thing that we see in terms of the nature of the thousand years. Satan is bound. Secondly, as we move to this scene in heaven in verses four through six, we're gonna see this. The saints are spiritually resurrected and will reign as priests with Christ. All of those who put their faith in Christ are those who are saints. And obviously, again, as we live in this world, we know we are also sinners. We are sinners and saints simultaneously. Verse six says this, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. The first resurrection is our being born again into faith in Christ, spiritually resurrected with him through faith in him. And we are protected from the second death, meaning eternal death. The death that we see that Satan and the false prophet and the first beast go through. They will experience the second death, but those who have put their faith in Christ who have been resurrected spiritually will not experience that second death. In fact, not, just, not only will we not experience the second death, but we will reign as priests with gods. We're, we're, the picture in verses four through six, again, is going to thrones, this picture of being in the throne room with God, sitting on thrones with God. Again, and these are, these are, this is figurative language to describe um, the benefits that come with walking with Christ, having faith in Christ. But so this is our reality the saints are spiritually resurrected and through faith will reign as priests with Christ. So that is the nature of the thousand years for the saints, for us who have put our faith in Christ. The third thing we see about the nature of the thousand years is that the thousand years will end with the destruction of evil forever. Verse 10 says, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And even later on in chapter 20, which we, haven't, we didn't read, we see death and Hades also being thrown into this lake of fire and being destroyed forever and ever. And we see earlier mentioned in Revelation 1.18 that Jesus is the one who has power over death and Hades. Chapter one, verse 18 says, and the living one, um, no, I should start from here. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. We have no reason to fear ultimately over suffering, over evil, over death because Jesus is the one who has power over all of those things and through his resurrection from the dead has already defeated the power of those things. So what is our application? What is our gospel application? This is the gospel. We have actually been talking about the gospel throughout, the good news message of Jesus that we've been talking about throughout the whole sermon. So here, take to heart these points. Number one, do not despair 
of Satan because he cannot harm you spiritually. Do not despair of Satan because he cannot harm you spiritually. We may be persecuted. We may suffer spiritually, but Satan cannot draw God's children away from God himself. If you share in the first resurrection by faith in Christ and his death and his resurrection, then you are sealed by the Holy Spirit to live with him forever and ever. And so I encourage you, by faith, lean into the power and hope of the resurrection now. Second application, be encouraged that God will build his church. Listen to me, one ancient hope. We are a small church. Most churches in America and all around the world are small churches. We look at the mega churches wherever down the street and we think, why are they so big and we are so small? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how big we are. Big or small is not a judgment on our faithfulness to God. And ultimately what it's about is that God says he will build his church and Satan has no power over that either. Satan cannot deceive the nation so that they will not hear the gospel. And so the Holy Spirit is at work in this world to bring in the kingdom of God. And we've seen that in history. We may see the church persecuted. We may see the church suffer. We may see the church's witness compromised. But God will continue to build his church and he will bring to a finish the work that he began. So I encourage you in the now, in this city, through our church, lean into the power of the Holy Spirit to share your faith with others through word and deed. We just have to be faithful in our testimony of Jesus. God will do the work. Matthew 16, verse 18 says this, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Satan has no power over the church. God will build his church. We know which team wins. We know how the story ends. But we know also we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. We were once enemies with God, but have now been reconciled to him as his bride by no merit or goodness of our own, but simply by faith in Christ's merit, in Christ's righteousness, in his goodness that is considered ours through faith in him. We have been washed by the blood of the lamb that was slain so that we may stand with him in the end. And so we have no reason for arrogance. We have no reason for presumption. We must daily lean into the grace of God um, that is for us, the grace of God that simultaneously makes us saints before God. We have no reason to fear or to despair of evil because Jesus wins. Rest in your spiritual resurrection through Christ and be invigorated to live out your life to represent his love in this world. Let's live in the power of the first resurrection now. Let us pray.